Welcome everybody to another episode of the Nerd Continuity where we talk about design, development and all other crazy sorts of stuff that we find online. I'm your host Alex as usual and the episode of today it's it's not really what I think about WordPress. Of course it was a joke. It's kind of a jokey title, but the title is Never Update WordPress between quotes and other random misconceptions of course still about WordPress. Uh, before jumping on this main topic that is really interesting and you actually asked me, you guys, in the comment section on my YouTube channel, you asked me to tackle this issue, uh, there are a bunch of other news about web and technology that I would like to share with you. So The Verge released an article on January 4th about Facebook and another kind of sketchy user testing thing that is doing it. Everybody knows that Facebook uses his massive, its massive audience of billions of users to do massive user testing um, experiments. So they change your timeline, they update some content, they show you what they want uh, on a specific group of people to see reaction, to see how they change, how they interact in a different way there. Mostly uh, social experiments that are, are kind of sketchy or kind of tricky. Uh, it, it's kind of weird to argue if it's good or if it's bad. Uh, but recently, um, a reporter stated that <laughs> Facebook is doing something even worse. So, uh, Facebook basically selectively disconnecting the Android app, the app for your Android phone, for your Google phone it's blocking the access of Facebook through the app. So it's forcing the users to access, if they want, to access Facebook through the web application. So accessing the browser and logging into Facebook within the browser. So they're doing this randomly. So they purposely put bugs on the Android app of Facebook and they purposely block the access of uh, the entire Facebook experience for a specific amount of time to check if a user is so loyal, is that loyal to actually keep going and keep accessing Facebook through the web application. I kind of noticed that, uh, I don't remember when, but I remember, I think two months ago, the Facebook app was really awful. I wasn't working and most of the time I couldn't share anything and all other random stuff. So. Uh, I don't know. They Facebook is stating that it's just about a social experiment. It's just about analysis. It's just uh, about to check how loyal are their audience. How the audience wants to keep going using Facebook even during technical difficulties. But the there's a rumor about the possibility of Google pulling out. Facebook, the Facebook app from the Google Play Store. So this move could potentially really damage Facebook because a huge chunk of user base comes from 
uh, mobile user, pretty much like uh, <laughs> most of the entire audience, like pretty much the entire audience come from mobile user. And a lot of users, they have Android device. There are not only Google phones, but are like all Samsung, HTC, uh, Zenfone. China has a lot of Android device. And all these kind of stuff, basically all these devices are connected to the Play Store and to install um, the Facebook application, you have to pass through the Play Store. So if Google removes Facebook from the Play Store, it looks like Facebook is trying to see how much damage that could cause to them and how they can kind of push their Android users to uh, get used to the web app instead of the native application. In my opinion, this is really frustrating. It's really weird because you're offering a service and you're on purpose, you're putting bugs and you're uh, crashing your service to check if your customer is loyal. It's like, this is so weird. Like, it's like you go in a restaurant and you eat at a restaurant, it's really good. And then you go another time and another time and another time. You become a loyal customer of the restaurant. And one day the chef decides to shit on your plate or like to give you a frozen food and see if you will come back. Like just to check, uh, let's give a really crappy experience and see if he really likes the restaurant or just is like a temporary thing. That doesn't make sense. There is, it doesn't really make sense. But for a normal business, for a, a common business, this would be a nightmare. This would be like a death sentence because it's damaging a lot its own business. But for Facebook, I think they don't really care because they have this massive audience of a billion people. And they don't really care if they lose someone while they do testing. They, they lose 20,000 users. They don't care. And the next day, they're going to have 50,000 new users signing up on Facebook. So they feel super cocky. They feel super confident on doing this stuff. But they don't understand that they're damaging. And especially in the youth market, Facebook is losing a lot of traction. It's becoming a, a sort of MySpace. It's becoming something that old people are using, not anymore youth people. Like the youth are moving to... Uh, towards Instagram, Tumblr, uh, Snapchat, uh, Periscope, and Meerkat, and all this kind of stuff. So Facebook is really pushing it too much, in my opinion. But what do you think, guys? Like, have you had this kind of experience? Also, another report is stating that Facebook decides randomly to block the access of the native app to a random country so the entire country cannot use the app or just like they don't publish the app on a play store of a specific country so they check if people still uses facebook on mobile with the web application this is it's kind of stupid but well i don't know they're out of their mind they have too many users and they feel too confident about it so we'll see how it goes 
The other news I want to talk to you about is something that I was actually doing a tutorial about it. So the one of the latest tutorial I did is about how to install a local environment on Windows. And if you notice in the tutorial, it's not really easy, it's not really user friendly. And developing, like using a Windows machine to develop is not the best experience ever. It's kind of annoying, a lot of issues, a lot of dependencies, a lot of source code. You have to constantly download something to make it work. And sometimes it just crashes. Sometimes your environment just stops working and it's just so frustrating. So in my opinion, one of the best experiences ever that I've ever had is with Linux. Linux is so open, it's so ready, it's just for developers. It's mostly for developers. You can actually make a lot of things with Linux. You, you can make everything pretty much with Linux. You can code whatever thing you want. So it's kind of normal, or at, at least it used to be normal for uh, um, users that they don't have a huge amount of money to buy a pretty cheap computer, a pretty cheap laptop for 200 or $300 with pre-installed uh, Windows on top and then using a USB drive or using a CD and formatting and installing Linux or installing Linux with a, another partition on their uh, hard drive to run Windows and Linux at the same time. Since Windows Vista, and then they push it really forward with Windows 7, uh, Microsoft started a sort, of, a sort of war against Linux to try to stop users to install Linux on their machine that, that, that are not actually their machine, like to the machines where Microsoft is installed by default. So pretty much every computer ever that is not a MacBook, <laughs> like pretty much like 99.9% .9 of the computers that you can find on a regular retailer store are with Windows. So Microsoft doesn't want that. Microsoft wants you to stick with Windows. It's forcing you and you can see also, you, you will notice pretty much like how pushy is becoming Microsoft recently with the update of Windows 10. How many times you have a pop-up uh, that it's telling you, please update to Windows 10, or if you don't say no, it will automatically download Windows 10 in the background that are like gigs and gigs of memory and it's just insane gigabyte of data and installing Windows 10 by itself, even if you put in standby or asleep your machine. This is just insanity because Microsoft is forcing its own choice to a user that actually like, if I purchase a laptop, if I purchase a computer, that computer should be mine and I should be able to do whatever the heck I want with that computer. I should be able to install whatever operating system because I paid for that hardware. And I also paid those stupid $100 on top of the hardware for your stupid operating system that is so bloated that I hate it, but <laughs> you're forcing me to stay with it. Even if I paid, I, I paid for that. So I should be able to delete it because I paid. I, I, gave, I gave you money to use it. I don't want to use it anymore, but I paid already. So stop it, shut up. But no, now... Microsoft is forcing users to 
not even having the ability to install another operating system. So how the things works basically, if you use a CD drive or a USB drive to install um, a derivation of Linux, whatever derivation, with uh, a partition in your driver, usually when you start, when you boot your computer, the BIOS starts running and the motherboard powers up and all this kind of stuff. So. Microsoft wants to push inside Windows uh, code that runs before the reading of the USB drive. So it runs directly inside the BIOS and avoid to read whatever thing you're trying to install. So your system is gonna boot only Windows. What is gonna happen? Two things, in my opinion. Pretty much the average user will stick with Windows like still happens. So uh, the average user doesn't care about Linux. The average user doesn't care about dual booting, two different operating systems, uh, that it's Linux, Windows 10 or Hackintosh and Windows or whatever. He's gonna stay with Windows and Microsoft is gonna have the same always audience. But what's gonna happen is that a user that it's can be considered a power user, someone that knows about Linux and knows about computers, will buy or uh, empty computer, like a not pre-installed Windows computer. So you can buy a System76 and Tink Penguin, some computer that it's made with Linux in mind. And then if he wants, he can install um, cracked or a, like a coded or a hacked version of Windows without that kill switch enabled. So without the UEFI enabling system. So Windows cannot force the UEFI settings anymore. Or the other thing, we're all gonna start buying or purchasing single parts and building our own custom PCs because that's how it's gonna happen. Like freedom, like you're... <laughs> Microsoft, you're removing the stupid freedom of running Ubuntu or running Linux. And it's just, just retarded. So your piece of market of people that wants to purchase a Microsoft, um, a Windows laptop and then install Linux, they, they're they gonna go somewhere else. Well, another rant. Mm, nice, Microsoft and Facebook has first two news. It's just super, super positive, super positive stuff. So let's change topic because I'm pretty sick of this stuff. And there's a new update of Git. And this is a really great update. So they just released Git version 2.7.0 and there are a lot of good stuff. They released a lot of implementation and brought more flexible naming and a lot of more flexibility in uh, terms of checkout and checking history and version control that is the basic of Git. So I wanna talk about just one super cool stuff they introduced or they actually mm, implemented better or they, they increased the functionality and is the bisect command of git. So the bisect command of git, what it does, it confronts two different version of your uh, repository and helps you to check when things were wrong. So if for example, you have a report that you have your git master, you 
uh, deployed that Git repositories for like two years and you started from version one, now you're version seven and you find out that your master is broken, that some code that doesn't work at all in your master. But you remember that the last time you checked that code was in version four and in version four was working. So you do a checkout, you pull back the version four, you test the version four, it's actually working. So what are you gonna do? Are you gonna seriously actually check in all the different versions or the different files that you deployed and you're gonna check what file broke what finding where the things went wrong? It's kind of impossible if you have multiple version, multiple branches, multiple repositories, and you realize that these things is broken after many, many months of deployments, like where where did I fucked up? So it's like bisect, it's perfect for you because you can, with a simple code, you can uh, set a start and you can set a um, good repository that in your case is version four maybe, and then you can set a bad repository that in our case or in your case is the master repository. And Git automatically will um, start comparing versions and we will grab something in the middle. So you have your current master is version seven, you have um, that is it's bad. You have a good repository that is version four. So Git, we will check version 5.5 maybe, or version 6.2. We will check something in the middle and it will give you an extract of that. It will check out that specific repository. You can test that. And if it's working, you can set bisect, this is good. So bisect, you don't have to reset everything, but because you stated that that is good, it will not consider whatever it's before that good repository, that good checkout, that good version. So it will restart the test for you between the most recent good and the bad one that is still the latest one that master. And it, you will keep going, we will keep going and removing, 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 while like streamline the more and more and more until you reach the final step, where is the, you will find the actual commit, the actual git push that pushed and merged the bad code. And you will detect that thanks to bisect without checking out 20 different versions and testing one, testing another, testing another, testing another. Bisect, we will do that for you by averaging the type of version. So. This is amazing. It's, I don't know how many of you use Git, but I use it every day. And sometimes there's some weird issues. The week after, like you deployed something on Wednesday and everything works. And then other two developers, they work on that, everything's fine. But then the client after a week said, oh, this is broken. And you check the master is actually broken. But then the version of Wednesday works. And you notice that in between those two days, you had seven different commits, seven different pushes. And I mean, yes, you could do it manually, but instead of doing manually, why don't you use an automatic system that thanks to an algorithm and an average version detection gives you the best option ever to check if something works or not. So instead of checking seven different times, you will check maybe twice 
And after two tests, thanks to Bisect, you will find where things went wrong. And it's, it's great. Of course, Git, this new update of Git comes with a lot of different bug fixing, a lot of different configuration settings improvements, and there's a huge changes and roadmap and just check that out. It's just amazing. It's getting more and more powerful and I still don't understand why people use SVN, but let's not talk about SVN that I don't really like it. Anyway. So now we are finally at our main argument and our main topic of these uh, Nerd Continuity podcast, the podcast of today. And the topic came from a question from a user that asked, actually it was something like that. I cannot find the actual question, so I'm sorry if it was you, like whoever listener is listening to this post- podcast, if it was you, thanks for this question if it wasn't you just shut up and listen no i'm joking anyway um anyway the question was uh i heard a lot of time from other developers other users to not update a wordpress installation because it will break my source code it will break my theme it will break my plugins is it good is it bad is it true like should i avoid to update WordPress? My answer, the short answer is bullshit. You should always update WordPress. You should always update plugins. You should always update third-party themes. Always, every time update everything. Please, please, I will never stop repeating, update everything. And there are a lot of reasons about that. Plus, we're gonna discuss about random misconceptions especially three main misconceptions that I constantly hear about on the web. And it's not the first time that I hear someone saying, WordPress, you shouldn't update WordPress because it's dangerous. And I actually have to admit that when I first started coding WordPress theme, that was a a thought, that there was something I used to say too to my clients, like I will take care of the updates, Not do not update because you could break the site. That was something that was kind of true, but not really uh, during version 2, between version 2 and 2.5 maybe, when WordPress was really a bare bone structure, was really not there yet and was really clunky so it didn't have a menu managing system it didn't it didn't have it didn't come with a navigation system so you were forced to code your own navigation it didn't come with a a proper sidebar management and it was just for blogs like really simple block structure so in order to do something more with WordPress and use the powerful CMS, the powerful administration panel of WordPress, you were forced to edit the source code a little bit and force some weird functions to do something weird. So at that point, as a developer, you were kind of scared of updating WordPress because you how do you know that your sketchy code that you did to create something that didn't exist in WordPress before would still work with the new updated version of WordPress, especially because WordPress, every time it updates something, updates the core. And the core functionality and the core of WordPress 
contains all the functions and classes and hooks and actions and filters that you use to do something. So uh, what if they change those filters? What if they change those taxonomies or they change those attributes? Everything's going to break. Everything's going to... No. False. False statement. WordPress is backward compatible and has always been. It's never been not backward compatible. So if you have a code in your theme from version 2.7 and you update WordPress up to version the most recent that is currently the 4.4, your code from 10 years ago will work, will still work. And of course it's gonna be crappy because it's a 10 years old code and you should really update it. But don't worry because your WordPress installation or your WordPress theme will work especially thanks to the structure, how WordPress is structured. If you notice, especially in my tutorials, when we do WordPress tutorials, we never went out of the wp-content folder. That is a folder that WordPress never updates, never updates. That folder contains your themes, your plugins, your widgets, your uh, uploads. It generates a folder called uploads with all your pictures, images that you upload in your website gets uploaded inside WP content. When WordPress updates itself, updates everything else except the WP content. So your theme is going to say that nothing is going to override your theme. The issue here is if you download a pre-built theme or a pre-built plugin, and you change the source code of that theme of or that plugin, you can actually risk to break it if you update it because it's gonna override whatever thing you updated. So it's gonna rewrite it's gonna rewrite the source code that you changed manually. So that's why you should never, never update manually the source code of a theme or a plugin. If you wanna change something specifically or you do it inside the administration panel or if the administration panel doesn't allow you to do whatever things you want to do it doesn't have that functionality you should create your own function inside a, another file external to that plugin and create a hook a function that overrides or updates another specific option of that of the theme or, or that plugin. So when you update the theme or that plugin, your script that it's on another file is not gonna get overwrote and you can still use that function to update the source code of that specific section you're updating. So you're pretty free to go. So always, always update WordPress. Of course, Sometimes things can go wrong, but if something goes wrong, it's because you coded something really wrong. So if you have something super sketchy and super not well built, that it's like working because the love of God, I don't know what's happening, but it's working, let's not touch it anymore, that's bad. And it's not WordPress's fault it's your fault that you didn't code properly something. So always be careful, always be future-proofed, always check the codex, the developer side, the repository of WordPress, check what you can do and what you should avoid to do. So 
but please always update WordPress because if you don't update it, you will miss uh, tons of tons of security and fixes and uh, patches and safety holds closed. You will miss a lot and your website will be exposed to a lot of weird issues. And it's just blah. Another issue of not updating WordPress the thing is that WordPress is open source. So when he, when the developers of WordPress release a new version, they state uh, what they fix. And sometimes said like change log in version 3.4, we patched or like we removed this security hole or this bug that was causing an SQL injection on this section. So a hacker or someone with really bad intention could check that change log and see and confront with your current version of WordPress he, if he can access the current version of WordPress. If he can detect the current version of WordPress, you didn't hide it, he can check, okay, he's using this current version of WordPress. What kind of bugs were present on this current section of WordPress in current installation? Oh, I can use the Heartbleed. Uh, security issue or I can use this other bug or I can use this to access the database and destroy everything or I can access this to do an SQL injection in the search bar because it wasn't fixed until the next version so let's do that so this is really risky and you should always update always always update WordPress always of course, do a lot of backups. <laughs> backups your files, backups your backup your database, backup your file, backup everything before doing update. And if you can create a um, separated environment, create a local environment or create a development uh, derivation of your live site that is protected and do the update there and check if everything works. So always test it before doing the update on the live production side. But always update WordPress, please. The second misconception of WordPress that I constantly hear is that plugins and widgets that you download are insecure and bloated software. This is kind of not true. <laughs> this is this used to be true in the early versions of WordPress still because it was completely open source. It was a really small project, open source project and everyone was able to code however the hell they wanted to. So just code in a plugin to change the main function of your WordPress, release it. Oh, you can install it. That, that's yours. That's uh, it's open source. Do whatever you want. WordPress, it's running currently almost 30% uh, 30 of all the website in the web. 30%. Uh, it's, it's just an insane number, like 30% of the website that are based on a CMS are on WordPress. And this is a huge number. We're talking about billions of unit of websites. And if the guys, the developers of WordPress didn't care about security, didn't care about actually checking what kind, checking what kind of plugins and widgets are available in the public repository, I don't think WordPress would be installing the 30% of CMS out there. Like, if it was that really crappy, it wouldn't be so popular. 
And of course, it's not an element of like, okay, so because it's popular, it's, it's safe. No, it's not, it's not like that. It's, it's just one of the many reasons. The other main reason, the actual main reasons, is that the developers of WordPress just scans a lot your plugin and widgets. When you create something custom, you have to submit. It's, that, it's not that you upload your plugin on the repository and it's always available, already like immediately available they review your code and if it's bad coded has some security issues they don't publish it they reject your code so you have to follow also there the guidelines there are a massive amount of strict guidelines there's a huge fully completed documentation on how to build a plugin and this is really technical and it's kind of weird for beginner developers but if you're a plugin developer if you're a wordpress developer a skilled one you have to follow the guidelines or your plugin or your widget or your amazing code will be rejected from the guise of automatic that is the company or it's like the group of people that develops WordPress so plugins and widgets are tested and approved by the developers of WordPress the people that code WordPress the people that code WordPress are checking your plugin to see if it's safe so if it's not there it means that it's not safe. If a plugin is there, it means that it's safe. And also, before installing a plugin or widgets, just do not install whatever plugin you want. Oh, this looks cool, install it. No, check when was the last time it was updated. Check if there are uh, reviews about your current version of WordPress. Sometimes if the plugin is not compatible, it said this plugin wasn't tested with your current installation, so you shouldn't use it use it at your own risk so check that and also every plugin has every plugin has a review section a review section q a a support section so always check that check the reviews of the other users that they use it and check what kind of issues what kind of security what kind of bugs they experienced so do your research before installing a plugin of course if you install the first plugin you find that has uh, just like 20,000 one-star review and it's stated that it hasn't been tested uh, with your version of WordPress and hasn't been updated in more than two years it's kind of your fault you shouldn't you shouldn't install that it's like it's normal in a massive amount of repository in the massive amount of plugins in the repository of WordPress is normal that sometimes you can find something that is not perfect always do your research don't give it for granted just because it's there it doesn't mean it's good so always check before and always test something on a testing side not on the live side never install something new a plugin or a widget directly on the live site always test it before and also of course always update plugins and widgets as well but that was from the first argument the last pretty common misconception that I really heard really often is that WordPress, the source code of WordPress, is procedural, so it's not object-oriented, and so because it's procedural, it's bad and it's not safe. And this is not true. This is totally true. Yes, the WordPress source code is procedural, is not stated in, is not coded in object oriented logic but 
does it really matter? Like, seriously, like, okay, the OOP coding language, the object-oriented coding language, it's good. It's really safe. It's really compact. It's, it, it, it's perfect. Like, we should use it, but it's not really necessary for everything. You should use objects, classes, and those kind of stuff, constructors, and those stuff of the objects logic only when it's necessary. So, like, WordPress uses objects. Too. He uses the Walker nav class. He uses the um, the post object, the the post loop when it creates a while loop. Those the WP query class. All those kind of stuff are based on object oriented classes. But then WordPress has a huge amount of procedural code that it's all the functions, all the hooks, actions, and filters are procedurals are based on just functions. They're not like all like uh, the, the main developer of WordPress, the chief developer of WordPress one day, like during a conference last year said, okay, we could just wrap all the functions inside a class container and release WordPress. It will work exactly the same way, but it will be harder to keep it backward compatible and will be harder to update it with the constant with the consistency that we are updating WordPress right now. So it's it doesn't really matter if putting a function inside a class, like changing from procedural to object, it doesn't matter if it doesn't give you a good, a massive performance improvement. It doesn't it doesn't matter if it's not worth it. It is. It doesn't give you anything back. Like why you should use object-oriented coding if it's exactly the same as procedural, and WordPress is based on procedural code because it's a really. It started really early during the first year of PHP, so it's based on PHP. And yes, PHP was born as a procedural code and it works perfectly and it's it's beautiful and it's easy to update and all the actions and functions and filters and hooks are perfect in a procedural way. Putting everything inside an object and forcing the user to use an action in object form and calling a class and doing other stuff will create just a confusion and it will uh, create a bloated a more bloated experience while coding uh, a theme or a plugin or widget or whatever for WordPress. So it's not necessary and it works. So you, it's, it's procedural is not equal bad and not safe. Like seriously, it's not, it's, it's not. It's, th those are two things that are, th th it's an assumption that is totally wrong. So. That's it. Th these are my two cents about uh, WordPress and about all these misconceptions about WordPress. And before passing to the last section of this podcast, that are the questions uh, that you sent me, guys, I want to ask you a question. What do you think about updating WordPress? Do you actually update WordPress? Do you think because it's free and it's open source, do you think it's not safe? Do you think it's not worth it? to be considered as a professional software for like really high-hand stuff like high-hand projects or do you think it's just a toy
is something that you should use just for your personal blog and that just don't do anything else. Like what, what are your thoughts about WordPress? Just let me know in a comment below. I'm really interested in, in how do you use WordPress? Like you suggest another software for a client if the project is huge, like has a huge community and said, oh, you shouldn't use WordPress, you should use Drupal. Is that what you suggest or it's, let me know, let me know, I'm really curious. So let's switch to the last section of this beautiful, beautiful podcast. Hopefully it's going to be beautiful. I don't know. I will edit a lot of parts that I don't like. So you will check a more polished version of this. Uh, anyway, um, last week I published a video about how to install Apache server, uh, MySQL and PHP on a Windows computer, on a Windows machine and how to install it manually. So I decided to do it manually and not use a framework or a service or an app or whatever. And pretty much every comment on that video was about you guys asking why I didn't use Vagrant, why I didn't use WAMP, why I didn't use XAMPP, why I didn't use um, a, a package, a pre-packaged app to install everything. And all my answers were exactly the same, but I keep receiving those questions and okay stop it now stop I'm gonna answer here please stop asking me that but the reason is there are a lot of reasons and a really good reasons it's not that I decided to do because I don't know those apps I told you I actually use Vagrant at work I use Vagrant because it's faster but I use Vagrant because I know what Vagrant is installing in my machine. I know what to pick and what not when I use a pre-packaged app. I know what's gonna happen when I install WAMP or XAMPP or MAMP if you're on OS X or whatever. I know what's inside and what's gonna happen. What, I, uh, what a, a beginner user, a beginner developer doesn't know is that those frameworks, those services will install whatever shit they want. So we will they will install everything, all this kind of services, everything all together. They will bloat your, uh, your operating system with a bunch of stuff that you probably don't even use. If you want to do just simple PHP uh, testing, if you just want to use, I don't know, develop WordPress, Drupal, some jQuery stuff or something like maybe based on a database with a RESTful API or something. You really need few stuff. You really need few uh, framework, few source code that you can manually install in your computer instead of creating a virtual machine or creating or let those apps to create a local environment for you because they will install a buttload of things that you will never use. So if you're an experienced user and you don't want to do that manually anymore, fine. You can totally use whatever you prefer. It's it's good. It's faster, actually. Like, I feel comfortable. It's faster. I just click, 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 then configure it. I don't have to write anything. I don't have to update any weird configuration file that it's hidden in my DLL system or whatever. I don't have to do those stuff. Just a click and it's ready to go. But if you don't know what those services are installing your machine, just learn, 
learn the basics. If you know the basics, you have the skill and you have the knowledge to pick the best, the best service for you. If you don't know the basics, if you don't know what the hell that app is going to install, what does it mean it's going to install Grunt, Grunt? what it does it mean it's going to install Gulp, what does it mean it's, it's going to install uh, NPM service, what what it's like Node, why, it's, why I need to install Ruby on Rails to uh, start a specific environment, why do I have, if you have all these doubts or if you don't know what a service is going to install, you should start doing it by yourself manually. And another reason is that what happens if that app that you use every day, every day stops working out of the blue? They release a new update, it's buggy, and it crashes your local environment, or it deletes your local environment file. What happened? What what are you what are you gonna do if you don't know the basics? If you know the basics, you can fix it. You can say, okay, the app is not working, whatever. I'm gonna spend five minutes to configure it manually because I have to work, so I will do it. And I will wait to reuse the app after they release an update and I will fix it. But if you don't know how things works, you will have a really hard time. You will have like a lot of issues because without that app, you're screwed because you don't know how to do it. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna search for another app and you're gonna install the other app and reconfigure everything? So you're gonna have double installation of everything? That's insane. So my tutorials are mostly focused on beginners or on the first early stages of a developer when he starts to learn and to understand how things works. And it's always better it's always good to start from the basic start from the basic learn your stuff increase your skill understand how things work and then pick whatever app you want and then do your choice choose whatever app you want pick whatever service you want pick whatever pre-built framework you want prepackaged app do whatever you want but before learn the basic and i'm never gonna answer that question anymore Another couple of questions before concluding the episode. So Voldemort, is that a cool name? Voldemort Silver has me, I would love to see a tutorial on workflow. Which tools do you use on your workflows as a front-end developer or a full-stack developer? And then he said, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Voldemort Silver. So my workflow is pretty standard. I mostly work as a full stack developer. So my workflow is mostly based on WordPress. So my standard workflow is the current one. I create a local environment of my machine that could be manually or I use background. Then I, I do two different things. It depends if I work alone on the project or I work with other developers. So both cases, anyway, I create a um, Git repository, a protected, private, if the client is private, otherwise, if it's my personal project, could be also public on GitHub. I create the repository, I create the master repository, I upload the main source code of the master repository, like a clean installation of WordPress with nothing else. And then I create the branch, the first branch that is version 0.1 or dev version, testing version, whatever development version. I create the development branch and I 
work only on that branch and I deploy and I commit and push and pull only on that branch until the development is finished or I, I, I change version. If I'm alone, I use Coda. I am on Mac, so I use Coda by Panic. I really love that IDE. I configure Gulp to auto refresh whatever things I do. If I'm not alone, I like to use Cloud9. Cloud9 is a cloud-based IDE where you can code collaborate at the same time on the same project, also on the same file. And you have two different cars. It's like writing a lot of different people writing at the same time on a Google Doc. You will see what the other person is coding. You have an internal chat. If the user, maybe the other developer is not in your office, is somewhere else, you have the chat inside within the code editor so it's really handy you don't have to go outside and you see what is coding and you can code its own stuff you can deploy or commit to git to different branches and you can keep everything synchronized you have a terminal where you can access in ssh the database so you can also update the database and do version control on the database it's just amazing so Cloud9 is also great. And if you don't want to pay for Cloud9, they have a free version where you have just one private uh, environment where you can code your own stuff. And then you have public environments where you can code something publicly and other people can access. So if you're experimenting, if you're testing, you could definitely check Cloud9 to code something publicly. It's amazing. It's really great. I'll, I really like it, especially if you're code collaborating with someone else that is not in your office or in your city or in your country. Cloud9 is really the way to go. After the whole development stuff, there's the deployment on the testing server. So the testing server, I configure a testing server on an actual server. So it's a protected URL that could be like a subdomain, something like dev the name of the project.com or like blah, 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 whatever name of the uh, website. And I test that on all the devices that I have. I test that on all the resolutions. I test that on all the browsers. Sometimes I use GhostLab. GhostLab is great because you can hook a specific environment. It will open at the same time uh, the same page on all the devices that you have connected and all the different browsers that you have. And if you update the code on something, GhostLab automatically will push those updates to all the other environment, all the other devices. So you will see live what happened. And especially if you're on a responsive environment, you should have more than one device connected. You should at least have one smartphone, one tablet, and one laptop and one desktop. So if you have at least four devices with all the devices, different browsers. So Google Chrome, Firefox, crappy Internet Explorer, even crappier Microsoft Edge, um, Safari, and you should test on the device also Chrome and Safari and maybe sometimes Firefox and probably Opera Mini, maybe uh, they have 300,000 users. So it's just like 1% of the market, but uh, anyway, whatever. So lots of testing, 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 testing. And you should do the first round of testing and then someone else, you should write a document and state 
what they should look and what they should do and then you should let someone else maybe another developer or maybe a designer do the testing not you or not another developer that worked on that project someone else someone external to a project like can you do this testing for me and just let it go and and test it and so a lot of testing after you test it of course you deploy it live you Super cool. There are a couple of stages of live deployment, but I don't know if it's interesting or not. Maybe I could talk more later about this in another episode. But anyway, this is my average workflow, pretty much. Pretty interesting, right? Right? Yeah? No. Okay. Last question of today, Martin Van Wingerden. Martin... Martin Van Wingerden? Is that right? Okay. He asks why in my tutorials I don't use a CDN that is a content delivery network or a jQuery for jQuery and Bootstrap, but I use the actual source code by downloading the source code of these two services. There are a couple of reasons. First of all, I'm in the development stage, so I don't want to use a CDN because I don't want to constantly hook and call an external website while I'm developing. I want to keep everything in my environment, in my website, in my local environment, whatever, and not depending on an external website. So the, I know CDN is supposed to be faster, but if I have manual access to the source code of jQuery of the source code, especially of Bootstrap, I can manually change the source code because the source file is on my machine, so I can change it. If it's on a CDN, I cannot change it. So I just grab whatever they give me, and I don't even know what they give me sometimes. But anyway, uh, so this is the main reason, the, the first reason. The other reason is that sometimes happens, it's really rare, it's really rare, pretty much it never happens. That could happen, and it happened to me bunch of times and it's really annoying that the CDN is not reachable and it's especially when you're on your you're on a live site if that CDN with jQuery is not reachable so cannot you cannot load the jQuery your entire site will break and if you cannot load the CDN of bootstrap your entire CSS structure, your entire grid will collapse. So I prefer to add uh, a couple of milliseconds, maybe 100 milliseconds to the load, to the loading speed of my website, but having at least jQuery and Bootstrap inside my website. So if something goes wrong inside my website, it's everything inside my website. I can fix it. Uh, if something doesn't load, it means that my entire website didn't load and not just the source code of jQuery. So the user will not see a broken website, but will see the message that the set, the website is not reachable. So it's, in my opinion, is better. And pretty much recently, pretty much all the hosting providers like Media Temple, uh, Amazon Web Server, Bluehost, they come with uh, integrated CDN so you can put your own source file on your own CDN but at that point you will have all your source code or your source file files on the same CDN so everything comes from that part 
So it's pretty much it for this episode of the Nerd Continuity. It's been a pleasure to talk to you in this podcast. I hope you like these arguments. And if you have questions, you have doubts, or you wanna like virtually punch me in the face because you think man, my voice is annoying, just leave a comment below. I will be sure to send you a picture of my face that you can punch it as many times as you want. It's really satisfying. I do that sometimes by myself. It's really satisfying. Just punch me in the face. It's just so great. Anyway, thank you guys uh, again for checking this podcast. And you can listen it on SoundCloud, on YouTube, on iTunes. You can subscribe on iTunes or you can use your own favorite app. Like actually the podcast should be reachable by whatever app that listens podcast that just searches for podcasts so just search for the nerd continuity on your favorite app and subscribe to the nerd continuity podcast i'm will be super happy and super pleased about it so thank you guys for checking this video and until the next podcast always remember that no matter what no matter what you do no matter where you are you're always a nerd and it's fine everyone is a nerd and it's great Thank you guys and talk to you soon.